Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 4, Episode 9, Scorched Earth. Yay! I like this episode. Oh, this is going to be fun to talk about because I really did not. <laughs> oh, oh, this is going to I think this might be I think this might be the first time we've ever had like a like a disagreement possibly. Oh man, maybe. Possibly. I mean, like overall I like it a lot, but it this also there's two very specific things that happen in this episode that are Whenever I'm watching sci-fi and there's aliens, I always have like a question about this in the back of my brain. And the fact that they actually like talk about it here, I'm just like, yay, it's, it is a thing. Which you know, we'll, we'll get to it when we and get it there. Nothing to do with time. No. <laughs> All the other things that we brought up before. No, just general like sci-fi alien stuff. No. So. Very cool. All right. Well, let's get into it and okay. get there. Well, before we get into it, we do have a little bit of news to discuss this week. Um, Stargate SG-1, Atlantis, and Universe are finally back on Amazon Prime. Oh, at yay! Least in the United States. I'm not sure about how the rest of the world works with Amazon Prime, but at least in the United States, the TV shows are back on Amazon. So, so we can continue this podcast forever. Yes, and um, I will say, so I did watch... Um, this episode on Amazon to see if it differs from Netflix at all. It is, it is like the widescreen, high res, much better version that doesn't have the weird hard cut to black commercial breaks in it. So. Oh really? Yes. So they Same. have like the actual original video files, I believe, rather than whatever Netflix is working off of. I don't know. The bootlegs that Netflix got from somewhere. From, from the the um syndication company whoever did that i don't know i'm pretty sure that's what netflix has for some reason um but then speaking of netflix so apparently um this is according to gateworld's um little news about this apparently the netflix license agreement ends in november oh so so we're gonna have to make the switch so we that might be when we finally see it um fall off of netflix now that it is actually back on amazon they might then not renew the rights. so we will keep an eye on that let you all know at least once we become aware of what's going on but i think it's likely sg1 is probably going to be leaving netflix this year i would say well that's good at least there's somewhere else to watch it yes and it is all three series so hey yes but for some reason the arc of truth and continuum aren't like you can like rent them on amazon but they're not like included with prime for some reason which is a little weird always the way it goes i'm noticing more and more i'm sure it's been a thing forever but it's only annoying to me now that like when the sequel of something comes out or like when the popular thing comes out they'll make that free but then (laughs) everything else related to it is mysteriously not free Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's how they get you. That's how they get you every time. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing, like, with Hulu, it's like you can search for a thing and you'll see the thing and it'll say it's there, but there's no, like, play the thing option. So it's like, why? So, like, is it on Hulu or not? Because there's, like, a couple movies I've been looking for where it's like, oh, it's on Hulu. Cool. I go to search it, but there's no, like, I can add it to my stuff, but I can't watch it. Oh, just weird. 
That is weird. I, I wonder if that's because I know that Hulu has varying levels of weird subscriptions of what you have access to. Maybe that is part uh, of it. Could be. Where they're like, you could be watching this movie right now. But then you but paid then, an like, extra $5.99. Okay, but it, if it is that, it doesn't say like upgrade to this plan to watch or something. It's just like there's just yeah. no watch option. I don't know. Maybe you can't watch it in this country. <laughs> that could be. I mean, it is some of like the, the sort of weirder European stuff that I like sometimes. Oh. Well, sometimes. oh, that might be it then. It that might could. not be available for streaming in our country. Mm. Yeah, but Hulu's not as worldwide as like other things, so that would be weird if it wasn't. Meh. But anyway, I don't know. That's that's not related to anything here. Um, so yeah, so just if you're watching a show on Netflix, keep an eye on it. It's probably going to be leaving. Okay, join us yeah. over on Amazon. Or just go buy the full complete ten season box set. <laughs> yes. And keep up with it that way. Or that one. Or that. Anyway, so let's get to Scorched Earth. Uh, this originally aired on August 25th, 2000. It was written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully and directed by Martin Wood. And Rachel, because you asked, I didn't note it this week. Uh, the commentary that I listened to uh, had Martin Wood, Jim Menard, who's the director of photography, and James Titchener, who is the visual effects supervisor. Ah, good to know. Mm -hmm. So because we have like Jim and James there, um, a lot of the commentary is about like the visual effects and the more technical aspects of this episode. And one of the interesting things is this was the first episode where they actually outsourced a lot of the visual effects to, uh, well, actually I think all of the visual effects to a company in Ireland called Windmill, which oh, was like fun. really cool. And like they liked sort of outsourcing it because it kind of brought a different perspective and a different sort of style to some of this stuff. But then it was also kind of a pain in the ass because time zones. Oh, yes. <laughs> they're in Vancouver and then they're in Ireland. That's far, that's kind of not, you know, very conducive to timely conversations. Yeah. Also in the, you know, early 2000s, there was not as much common streaming abilities. Yeah, I think, uh, like James was saying, like, he'd have to, like, stay until 10 so he could, like, talk to the guy at, like, 6 a.m. or get up at 6 a.m. so he could talk to the guy at, like, 8, like, when he was, like, leaving the office at the end of the day. Like, a lot of that yeah. kind of stuff. But he did fly out for, like, a week, though. I'd let him and, like, a couple other people from, like, the visual effects team to go out there for a week when they were finishing things. But Yeah, fine. There you go. Okay, so in this episode, after relocating an endangered civilization to a safe new planet, the team realizes that another race of aliens is planning to incinerate the planet's surface to make it inhabitable for their own race. Will SG-1 be able to reason with the marauding aliens, or will their plans for interplanetary diplomacy go up in flames? Da-da-da! So we open on an alien planet where the people of this village have gathered to celebrate their new home and give thanks to SG-1 for finding it for them. These are the Encarens, who were first mentioned in which episode? Do you remember? Yeah, it was just to... Oh, I need to look up the title again, but yes! It's just my Watergate episode. It was, yes. So... <laughs> I really this, should have gotten that much faster. <laughs> yeah, I know, considering it's the one you did the notes for. Um, and it was just straight up called Watergate. I know, yeah. Um, so if you remember, like, what had happened is Watergate is this, like, relocation mission is what they were going on when the whole we can't dial out thing happened. So yeah. 
this is now the end of whatever project had been started to relocate the Incarens. And so now everybody's there. Yay. Let's feast and rejoice together. They do note, because this is something we've talked about before, there are apparently hundreds of villages like this all over. So it's not just like this one village right by the gate. Which I'd like to hear. Yes. Uh, yay, they're expanding. Yeah. Uh, so the leader of this particular, I don't know if she's just like the leader of this village or if she's the leader of all of the Incarans. Uh Her name is Hedrazar. And our first fun fact from the commentary is Hedrazar was actually written as a male character. But then uh, Marilyn Norrie, who's this actress, came in and they were just like, well, you're perfect. So we're going to here, go. here you go. Have at it. Um, right. And the contacts she was wearing, like, actually made her blind. Oh, so, so she didn't really have to do any sort of acting with it. Not really. No, no. Um, the, the man sitting next to her is Eliam and his pregnant wife is Nika. And. Also a fun fact from the commentary, Nika is played by the wife of executive producer Michael Greenberg. Her name is Nikki, and she's actually pregnant. So that's why she's there. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so yay, rejoicing, pregnant women, yay, in Karen life. And they're going to name the child after Jack. Why does everything get named after Jack? I don't, because he's the leader, so he's the one in charge. I don't know. But it's interesting, she's, she's like, we'll, we'll name the, the child after you, Colonel. So it kind of makes you wonder, are they going to name the child Colonel or Jack? <laughs> I thought the same thing. I thought it was like, but you would think there would be more stuff named after Hammond. Have they even met Hammond? I don't, well, I you would think so as part of the whole relocation effort. So, okay, so do you think Hammond, like, goes off-world more than we see him go off-world? Or do you think Hammond just sits in the SGC and signs paperwork? I mean, I don't feel like he goes off-world a whole lot. But if they were doing an entire planetary relocation thing, you'd think they would have met him at some point in time, at least for this okay. instance. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I thought about it like that. But that's interesting. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, we do then get a mention of, like, the weather getting colder, and Sam mentions that they did only have a short time to do a full, like, full assessment of the planetary conditions, but they do have an Aquita reactor to help keep them warm, and we see in the background, um, like, structures being built, like, actual buildings rather than just the tents that they're currently living out of, and then suddenly a man, Caleb, comes running in from a nearby village yelling about how it was so big and it destroyed the entire village. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, what's going on? Like, take a breath, calm down, tell us what's happening. And he just insists that SG-1 go with him to see. And so we do go see. And it's a massive spaceship up, up, up in the sky atmosphere. And there's this wall of fire of something that basically goes from the ship all the way down to the planet's surface, completely destroying everything in its path. And, well, shit. That's not good. As we cut to the opening credits. So, ah. um, yeah, this is this, this not good. Mm -mm. No. Yep. So back at the SGC, they're giving Hammond the rundown of what's going on. The ship appears to be about two miles in diameter, and that wall of fire... Um, like after it comes down, it kind of spreads out for about 20 miles across. There's also an unknown gas-like gas -like substance behind the wall that covers hundreds of miles. And Tilkett said he did not recognize the technology of this ship either. So nobody really has any idea what's going on at this point. 
Uh, Daniel then says something interesting in that this doesn't seem like it's actually a direct attack on the Incarns, because if it was, surely there are more efficient ways to do that. It kind of <laughs> reminded me of like a just large vacuum cleaner moving across a just, you know, planetary yeah. carpet. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Because the other thing is like it's moving very slowly. Like it's not like racing across the planet, destroying everything like it is moving very slowly right. and uh jack's not sure why that matters though and sam adds it'll take about 26 hours for the ship to reach hedrazar's village from i guess wherever caleb's village was but it'll like burn up the gate first because the gate's in the way and apparently tilk had stayed behind to start preparing the incarens to leave but they have no idea where to send them because there's something in their genetic makeup that is apparently very sensitive to radiation and they need a very dense ozone layer or they will die. Also interesting, they're not from Earth. They apparently evolved on their own planet and then the Gould kidnapped from there by ship as that planet had no Stargate. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so there's also then no way to even begin trying to find where this planet is and even if they did know that they would have no way to get these people there because they've been gone for like generations and generations and there's no gate so this planet could be anywhere we don't know mm-hmm. uh hammond does have sg units five six and nine out searching for another planet but sam doesn't think they'll be able to find another planet in time because it took so long to find this one which is uh p5s381 uh there's the suggestion of like can we bring them to earth for you know a few days at least and they're like not really they'd be able to survive here for like a couple days at most and also 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 they've spread out really far from the gate so it's just going to be very difficult to get everybody back to the gate in time yeah to save them all (laughs) just kidding everybody back yeah So we then cut to Sam's lab where she's been examining samples of the atmosphere from behind the wall of fire somehow. I'm not sure. I guess the UAV was able to go get samples. Uh, Maybe like just go around it. Yeah, just because it is, you know, moving forward in a straight line. I just imagine that the UAV or whatever was able to get kind of up and around the back of it. Yeah, that Maybe yeah, that could really like fly. That yeah. <laughs> fly fly around the side of the wall of fire and pick up the samples from the back. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh and so it turns out this this substance is sulfur dioxide. And so Jack's first guess is some kind of chemical warfare, but Sam doesn't think so and she's like, "Take a look at the microscope." So Jack does and there's this like orange blob thing in there and then there's some like Science babble where Sam talks about the like the ship is depositing those microbes and those are what become the sulfur dioxide after they like eat the plant life. And Daniel finally gets what Sam is hinting at. This ship is a terraformer. It's changing the planet into one that will support a sulfur-based life form rather than carbon-based ones like human and humanoids are like the Incarns. Mm. Do you suppose it's possible to even really terraform an entire planet like that. Well, I'm going to say yes, it is because the ship is doing it. <laughs> <laughs> because in this book, I don't know, because we've seen so many like 
you know, not to Stargate, but, you know, other sci-fi things have mm-hmm. run into this storyline before. And it just seems yeah. odd to me to be able to change the entire chemical natural makeup of an entire planet. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about, like, actual in reality, like, could we terraform, like, Mars to support Earth life? Like, I, I don't know. Maybe. I'm not that smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but apparently uh, in the commentary, Martin mentioned there was apparently uh, a sort of conversation between Jack and Daniel where they sort of argued about how Jack's like, it's not a terraformer, it's a de-terraformer because, you know, it's destroying it for the incarnate. It's like, but it's actually making it for these other, whoever these other aliens are. And it was like a whole like five minute thing where they just went back and forth and argued yeah, <laughs> about what like, it's doing. No, yes. No, yes. Yeah. Which I love those Jack Daniel conversations. So that would have been fun to see, but we didn't yeah. get them. Um, just not five minutes of it no and apparently like this episode like was running like long and they had to cut like you know bits and pieces here and there like all over the place to get it down but anyway so they head back to 381 and it doesn't look like anyone has done any packing and Tilk says that no one wants to leave like they're just they're staying they're not leaving they're just gonna stay which is weird to me well I mean not weird but like they're not planning on staying and fighting they're just planning on staying and dying i mean that seems to be the plan that that, you know happens very shortly here in this conversation that happens where like so jay you know jack heads into the tent to try to like talk some sense into the incarns but um like they do want to stay and fight Elian mentions, especially after hearing that there wouldn't be time to save everyone because they're just too far away from the gate. And it's like, they don't have any weapons. They're like, but you have weapons, right? They're like, that's well, not how that I, works. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Not really. Um, and Daniel's like, you know, we're going to go see if we can talk to them first and like figure this situation out because they still have, they don't really know what's going on. They have theories and ideas, but they don't know anything yet at this right. point. So Jack, Daniel, and Tilk are back near the gate where Sam has been setting up some kind of equipment to try and make contact with the alien ship. And Daniel seems sure that whoever they are must be capable of reason because they're so technologically advanced. And Sam's like, well, the question is, will they listen? And Jack's like, well, the actual real question is, will they have ears? (laughs) (laughs) I love those lines. No, it's just, it's such... That is such a jack. It's like, yep, mm-hmm, that's jack. <laughs> yep. Uh, the team is then enveloped in an orange, like, cylinder of light and get beamed away. Star Trek style. Star that's stuff. Talking yes. about it all crosswise again. Yep. <laughs> they get Star Trekked up to the ship. Yep. Uh, so apparently someone heard them. And SG-1 are on board a very white and sterile looking ship which according to Jim Menard was really cool to look at but very hard to light because it was so white oh, <laughs> like yeah. if they got if they got it too bright it just like blew everything out and he was like this was cool but I hated it no <laughs> so funny. yeah um Tilk mentions this looks like possibly some sort of storage room um so Sam said like isn't it weird that we can like breathe because this is like a sulfur-based life form but like we're fine in the atmosphere of the ship and daniel's like i guess they were expecting us Mm -hmm. 
Um, I found it very strange, the particular room they were beamed into. Yeah, I wonder if it's just that's the only part of the ship they had time to make the environment for them to be able to survive in. I don't know. Well, because, I mean, like, you haven't gotten to the description yet, but, you know, they start poking around in drawers and stuff and find what they think are samples of things. Yeah. And A, would the ship have wanted the breathable air as it was around those samples to, like, possibly contaminate them? Or what if they beamed up people that just saw that stuff and was like, yay, smash you, smash everything, and we don't have a problem? I I mean, that's true. The aliens don't know who they're beaming up. They don't know what we're going to do. And, you know, Sam and Daniel start touching things because that's what they do. (laughs) And Jack's like, could you stop touching things? Which I appreciate, Jack. Yes. Um, And so, yeah, so they find the samples and they're like, these are tissue samples. So if this is a terraformer, maybe these are the alien life forms that will then be inhabiting this planet once the terraformation is complete. And then we hear a door open and a man in white robes who looks and who looks and Karen comes into the room, introduces himself as Lotan and says that that's a good guess as far as like the whole terraforming and um, like life form samples thing goes. Uh, so my my fun fact for the so Lotan did not get the red squiggle spell check in words. <laughs> so whenever oh. that happens, I always got to look up what it is. So who or what is Lotan? So Lotan is a sea monster from an area of the Eastern Mediterranean, like historically, like way, way back in the day uh, that extended like from Greece to the Eastern coast of Libya. Uh, He at one point fought Baal and eventually his sort of mythology morphed into that of the Leviathan. Okay. So just like big giant sea monster. Name is Lotan. Yep. Mm -hmm. So uh, Sam raises her weapon. And he's like, no, it's fine. Don't have to worry about me. And Jack's like, okay, so what's going on here? Like, what's happening? And Lotan says, I have been assembled in order to more easily facilitate communication between this ship, as you call it, and yourselves. And they're like, assembled? What what do you mean, assembled? That's weird. And so apparently when the ship showed up yesterday, it scanned several of the Ankarans and basically made him from like an approximation of all their appearances. And this is also then when Lotan notices that SG-1 is not Encarin. So So here's issue number one for me. Okay. The ship shows up, Mm -hmm. finds that there's inhabitants on it, and proceeds to start with the terraforming anyway without... Stopping and communicating with it first. Okay, here's, so I think Sam has the timeline a little wrong because Sam's like, that happened yesterday. Um, I think what happened is because later in the episode, Lotan says something about like when the ship arrived two weeks ago, the Incarns weren't there. So I think the ship showed up two weeks ago, but like, on the other side of the planet from where the gate is. So like completely not where these villages were going to be set up because they were all, while they were spread out from the gate, they were still like on the gate side of the planet. So the ship is on the completely other side of the planet, starts the terraforming, gets around 
to where the Incarns is. And I'm like, oh, hey, what's that? They weren't here before. Scans them just to see who they are. And then makes Lotan. But the terraforming is still go- happening because it's been happening for two weeks. Okay. Is what the I other big thing I have about it is that in this conversation, he keeps insisting, like, no, it can't be stopped. No, once it starts, we cannot stop it. No, 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 no. And that's, like, exactly what happens at the end of the episode. I know. It's, well, because I think, I think there's that comes from just a misunderstanding of stop in the permanently cease to do this versus can you just pause it for a second? I think there's just that sort of breakdown in communication, which I mean, that's on both of their sides, though. And that's that we really have on both of them. the biggest red flag I have about this episode is if they were just like, hold on, let's talk about this for like an hour. Ask some simple questions. Can you go somewhere else? No. Can you stop it while we figure out where to put these people and then proceed? Maybe. Can you help us find a new home for these people? Oh, yes, I can. Like, <laughs> okay. It all happens in the dumbest order ever. <laughs> okay. But also, we know everything, and this is like, this is happening right now. So, what is the problem they have to solve right now? Like, right now, they need to stop the ship. Lotan says the ship can't stop. Yeah. Well, no, uh, you'd th- think that they would have been like, okay, you have to stop because there's people on the planet. Oh, no, no, no. We can't stop. Once it started, it can't stop. So, like, definitely if it were me and I was on the ship I'd be like what do you mean like can you stop it for like temporarily (laughs) like that would have been the immediate this is where your brain goes negotiation talk of like what do you mean by cannot stop cannot stop at all cannot stop in the general scheme of what you are doing okay I guess I can see that yeah okay it's and it's and I feel it's attributed to like you know they wanted of course to have a dramatic ending so they mm-hmm. have put in the script all of the questions that literally would have been asked in the first encounter at the end five minutes before explosions, <laughs> which Martin would actually talks about when we get to the end of the episode. Okay, he like then. kind of brings that up in the commentary a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, so, okay, so Lotan has noticed that SG-1's not in Karen. So this is when Daniel speaks up and does his whole, hi, yes, we're from Earth, introduces everybody, and Jack adds that they're friends of the Incarans. And Jack is being, like, quite aggressive with Lotan here, being like, you're wiping out the Incarans. And yes, they ran away to avoid being slaughtered and using just, I think, very harsh language for what should be a negotiation of some sort, but he's just like, you are doing horrible things to these people. And like, I get it, but also what I'm kind of with Daniel, that this doesn't seem to be like a malicious attack with the purpose of destroying the Incarns. Right. Yes. The village has been destroyed, but that seems completely accidental to what's actually happening. And right. I'm kind of not digging Jack's attitude. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I yeah. kind of get where he's come from, but it's also like, could you maybe dial it back down to like a seven? Cause he's in like, a, you know, <laughs> Just dial it down a notch. Um, So Lotan goes on to explain that when the ship started the terraforming process, the Incarans weren't here. And once the process starts, it can't be stopped. And this race of beings have no wish to cause the Incarans harm. But the truth of the situation is like they won't be able to survive once the terraforming is completed, like the Incarans won't. And 
Jack's just kind of over dealing with Lotan already, calling him just like the PR guy and asks to talk to his boss, to which Lotan responds, assumption of hierarchical command structure. Interesting. Follow me. <laughs> okay. Um, so he leads them to another room and explains that the ship is fully automated and was built by a race of beings called the Gadmir. And then we get this sort of holographic projection of a Gadmir brought up in on not really a screen. It's just sort of like a hologram chamber kind of thing. And so the Gadmir are kind of a some, somewhere between like a reptile and an insect, maybe, where they kind of stand on two legs, but they have like a long tail and they are green. They have very large heads and their mouths look almost more beak-like kind of than like an, like a mouth. And there's also some kind of hose or like tether thing that comes out of the back of their heads and connects to their back. And they're like, these are aliens. I would, I would like to know who designed the Gadmir. If someone got that assignment, who's like, guess what? Today you get to design Gadmir. What's a Gadmir? I don't know. Have fun with it. It, the 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 windmill company in Ireland they designed it yeah that's all from them yeah that was just interned mm-hmm. here have fun get me here <laughs> um so Lotan then goes on to explain like what the ship is like what its purpose is and he says they have placed all of their knowledge within the ship's memory science mathematics medicine art philosophy. 10,000 years of civilization. This is their legacy. They were a very advanced race compared to the Ankarans. However, they were also peaceful and fell victim to a superior military power. So they built this ship in the hopes that their world would be born again far from the reach of their enemies. So here's one of the things that I love that the show mentions. They mention art. Because whenever there's like a movie or a TV show or anything with like truly alien aliens, like not humanoid aliens, but actual alien aliens, I don't know if it's just because, like, I'm a band geek and a music nerd and, like, theater and all of that stuff. But I always wonder in the back of my head, do these people have books? Do they have theater? They have, like, I always just wonder that about Mm -hmm. alien races and things. Especially, too, like, with Galaxy Quest, where those aliens did not have theater or, like, storytelling of any kind. Because they had no idea that the TV show was all fake. And I just, I love that they mentioned that they have art and philosophy. I just think that's cool. That is cool. So, have, did I completely miss the timeline of like when these people went extinct versus when the terraform is starting? No, we do learn a bit later that, well, it says here, um, like there's the ship holds 10,000 years of civilization. So, right. but well, I, yeah. there's nothing said about when they they started building this ship to get away from their enemies. There's no, yeah, there's yeah. no mention of that timeline. Because, like, who are, who who's the enemy? Were, did, like, they run into the ghoul somewhere? Because also interesting, there's no ghoul in this episode, which is right. strange for Stargate. Um, but, yeah, like, who are the enemies? Who, who were they running away from? That'd be kind of cool to know. Also, I would be interested in, I mean, somebody also obviously built the ship. Yeah. So, I mean, there could have been some sort of thing that happened where, like, that civilization is still maybe on that planet. They just, like, sent off, you know, their hopes and dreams with the ship. Yeah. Like, were, like, did they realize, like, things 
were going to just end badly for them. And so, yeah, they kind of made basically an arc, really. Yeah. To save the best of them, if you will. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I felt had been in my brain. Yes. Yeah. So Daniel, of course, loves all this stuff, wants to study it. Cool, Lotan will get him translations. And Jack's like, that's great, but that's not why we're here. Oh, right, that. So uh, the unfortunate thing is that the ship only has enough raw materials to be able to terraform one planet. And since they've already started here, they have to finish here. So if, they can't, if the Incarans don't leave, they will die. And Tilk and Sam both then speak up about how they can't leave. Like, they need to live on a planet that has these specific environmental conditions. And Lotan's like, well, that's too bad. Can you go explain to the Incarans? And then just beams them back down to the planet. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> like, oh, that's terrible. Okay, bye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. So we get a, a very brief scene back with, like, Hedrazar and the village and those people. It's like, yeah, no, the conversation, unfortunately, did not go well up on board the ship. So back at the SGC, they're bringing Hammond up to speed again and talking about all the various options. And Sam says the, Gad- the Gadmir also seem to have a sensitivity to UV radiation. And that's why they also chose 381 for the terraforming. Hammond asks is if any of the information SG-1 have learned so far can be used to stop the ship. And Sam doesn't think so. And Daniel goes, that's assuming we have a right to stop them at all. So now here we come to sort of the main conflict of like, aside from the whole Gadme versus Incarns thing, we now get this whole sort of Jack versus Daniel thing. Mm-hmm. So Jack's like, well, what, what, what do you mean? If we have the right to stop it? And it's like, well, you know, Daniel's not wrong. <laughs> You know, the Gadmir have done nothing wrong, really. Uh, they were, as we learned, a very peaceful and advanced race. And who are the SGC to try and stop their chance at a new beginning here? Yeah, so they were technically there first. They were technically, yes. Um, you know, it's very unfortunate that there seem to be these two races of beings that basically need the same specific environmental conditions on this planet to survive. But, you know... That's where we are. And, like, who are we to make the decision of, like, who who gets the planet, basically? Uh, so Hammond asks about Lotan calling him a robot. Which, do you think Lotan is, like, actually, like, mechanical? Or do you think he's, like, an actual biological incarn, like, flesh and bone and blood and all of that stuff? Um, I think he's flesh and bone and blood and whatever. Because if there was a... If there was a contraption on the ship that saw inhabitants of the planet and wanted to create something in their image to communicate with them i'm not entirely sure why it would be like ah i want you to look like you on the outside but on the inside i'm going to make you completely different okay i think i think he's a real deal in karen okay um, yeah, so so Han- Hammond asks if Lotan might be able to convince, be convinced to delay the terraforming to give them a chance to move the Incarns again. So you're, there's your point. Yes, Hammond has the same idea. Can can they just pause it a little bit? And Jack doesn't think so and kind of is like, the robot's a robot kind of thinking for Jack at this point. Daniel thinks it's worth a try to go back and talk. After all, he was made in the image of the Incarn, so it might make him sympathetic to their situation. But Jack's still just stuck on the he's a robot thing. And Sam doesn't seem to think he'll be helpful either, but Daniel, of course, wants to try because that's what Daniel does. Okay, what if they can't 
get Lotan to agree to help, and Jack basically wants to nuke the ship. Uh, and Hammond's like, uh, nope, can't do that, not going to do that. So Jack acknowledges that he might be taking this a little personally, but it's because they've spent so much time getting to know the Incarns, and it took them a long time to find this planet, and like they kind of broke a promise in a way to the Incarns, because they're like, here's a new planet, you'll be safe here, and oh, whoops, sorry, you're not. Um, so, Which is ridiculous, because there was like, yeah. Because the situation is that the SGC was like, oh, we see that you can't survive on your planet. We will do everything in our power to help you find a new home. And then, oops, yeah. they get to the new home and somebody else, you know, is claiming it. But, like, I have no idea why the SGC would take that as their responsibility. <laughs> well, I, I guess I was sort of under the impression that, like, they found them on a Gould planet, you know, in some mission we didn't see. Possibly, you know, some other SG team found them first or something. Yeah. You know. And well, since... yeah, they were they were on a place that they couldn't survive on. Yeah. They kind of rescued them, but like, yeah, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Jack's like, yeah, it this is personal, and Hammond's still like, sorry, no. And he 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 tells Jack find another way. Those are Hammond's words to Jack. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So back on three eight one, SG one are giving the Incarns the bad news. And the Incarns are understandably quite upset about this. Uh, like SG-1 swore this planet was safe, gave them technology to help build new cities, and now they're all going to die, but they won't leave. And Jack kind of pauses for a moment, turns back to Sam, and asks her how much Naquita is in the reactor. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. God, no, Jack, no, please don't. Please don't be asking what we think you're thinking. And he is. He, he wants to turn the Naquita reactor into a bomb to destroy the ship. And Daniel really, 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 really doesn't like that. But he doesn't have any other options for Jack right now. And Jack's like, I'm out of options, Sam. So I have to order you to do this. So Jack orders Sam to make the bomb. Daniel is not happy with Jack. And kind of before the scene cuts off, it kind of lingers on uh, Jack for a minute. And Jack doesn't look too happy with himself either, really. At this point, um, and it's mentioned in the commentary that, like, all of the actors kind of had some, like, difficulties getting through this script and some of the stuff that their characters had to do, like, especially Rick, with some of the decisions, like, Jack was making, but still, you know, this is the script that was written, and this is the story they're telling, so, like, he had to find ways to sort of make what Jack is doing jibe with what he knows of Jack after having played him for so long and there's also some some difficulties because there really wasn't the sort of typical here's our bad guy here's what we need to do to defeat the bad guy type of story that sg1 usually tells like there is no bad guy here if you really think about it like the incarns aren't the bad guys the gadmir aren't the bad guys there's just this unfortunate situation we find ourselves in the middle of so there's not really a Plan. They can't really make a plan of attack because there's nobody to attack. Seems like the closest yeah. thing to a bad guy in this episode is unfortunately Jack. I know, <laughs> which is kind of difficult to wrap your head around a little bit. See, I don't like this one. I don't like it. <laughs> well, now I'm starting to not like it either, and I liked it before. <laughs> Thanks for ruining it for me, Rachel. <laughs> no, this is an excellent conversation. This is this is a really good conversation. Okay. Um. Yeah, so Jack's not happy with himself either, but this this is what the plan is. 
so we cut to uh, Sam has finished turning the reactor into a bomb by creating a feedback loop, as she said earlier, because that's always how you do these things in sci-fi mm-hmm. shows. And um, the bomb has been set up uh, next to a lake, sort of, uh, we, like we'd seen earlier, there's this sort of small ridge of like mountains or like large hills not far from the village. So they're sort of like just on the other side of that ridge to, I guess, in the thinking that, that the, the mountains would provide some protection to the village from the bomb. And once Jack pushes the button, it'll take about a minute for the overload to happen and then kablooey. And the ship is about 50 minutes away, but they should make sure to blow the bomb before the ship is directly overhead because who knows what that like wall of fire thing will do to it. And also, Jack, once you push the button, you can't stop it. So make sure if you're pushing it, you're doing it at like the right time. Mm-hmm. So Daniel and Tilk are back by the village just kind of keeping an eye on the ship when Daniel suddenly turns and walks away. He's going to go try and talk to Lotan. So, and Tilk's like, are you sure? He's like, well, I'm actually kind of following orders because Jack told me to give him another option. So I'm going to go get him another option. <laughs> I love it. I love that little bit too. Cause then we get the eyebrow from Tilk where he's like, ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. uh, he does promise like he's not going to give away any part of their plan with the whole bomb thing. At least he's just going to see if he can find a way to make the bomb plan unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So Daniel's back on board the ship, finds Lotan, and he's kind of in some sort of suspended thing. And there's like blue lights kind of swirling around him. And apparently he took taken some time to try breathing the sulfur-based environment that was being left behind by the ship. And as he goes, it was not good. <laughs> Just, yeah. Daniel's just like, how was it? Not good. <laughs> no. Um, he then pushes a button on one of the consoles in that little chamber and a very, very unpleasant sound is heard. And this is apparently music that was created by the Gadmer, which is another thing that just goes back to the whole, do aliens have mm-hmm. art? They have music. They have art. Yeah. This is fantastic. I this is I love this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dan's kind of like, that's ni- nice. And he's like, no, it really shouldn't sound like this. And apparently, you know, humanoid ears are not able to sort of process the sound as it should be able to be processed. So mm-hmm. it sounds nice to the Gadmir, not to these people. I well, like how he keeps referring to human parts or, you know, humanoid parts as like, you you weren't designed for this. Yeah. I like that terminology rather than so many times they have like, you're a primitive species, can't appreciate it. But it was just like, you guys weren't designed for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's, again, it's sort of a, it's not making anybody into the bad guy it's just like your body just doesn't work the, the way it needs to work in order to be able yeah. to process this so yeah. sorry um so anyway so daniel's there to see if lotan can maybe help him figure out a solution to this whole and Karin's being wiped out problem and lotan's like well that's not what i was designed to do so it's basically like no so yeah. daniel then switches tactics and asks lotan what will happen once he's like served his purpose And basically, he would just be, like, disassembled and absorbed back into the ship. And It's going to be gruesome. Yeah. So Daniel likens that to dying, maybe. And Lotan's like, yeah, sure, you could call it that. So Daniel suggests that Lotan go spend some time with the Incarnates before he and they die. 
and maybe it'll help him consider alternate solutions. And again, that's not in his programming. You know, it's like, oh, don't don't worry about that. Let's just let's just go like look around anyway. So off they go. And Jack and Sam are walking back towards the village. And Sam is now starting to have doubts about this whole blowing up the ship thing. And if it's actually the right thing to do. And Jack's just like, I don't know either. But what else are we supposed to do? So. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he takes the trigger of his bomb, like heads back towards the village, leaving Sam sort of, I guess, on lookout duty on the other side of the lake. And so... Daniel, Daniel and Lotan are now on the surface walking around and Lotan likes the air on this planet better, even though it's not as pure as the air on the ship, which I thought was like, that's nice. Like, I'm like, yeah. And he's yeah. also, I just was like, trees, trees are cool. Uh, yeah. And, um, a fun fact from the commentary. So that little sort of like path they're walking down like just before they started like rolling like the cameras had been set up and like the actors are waiting to be called in they're just a black bear on, on like on the far side like if the camera's oh. here there's bear <laughs> over there oh so, nah. no bear so uh, a bunch of grips got sent off to like shoo it away <laughs> and like Aww. stay out and stay on like bear lookout duty and christopher judge stayed in his trailer for like the rest of the day because <laughs> he is yep. not a bear person apparently um, Oh, that would have been me. I would have been like, bear? Nope. No. Yep. Yep. No bear. Uh, So Jack has reached the village, and Tilk tells him about Daniel going to talk to Lotan, and Jack immediately gets on the radio and yells at Daniel, like, tell me you are not on this ship. And luckily, Daniel can very honestly say he is not on the ship. So, Uh, Mm -hmm. he's just, you know, he's talking to Lotan, trying to give Jack another option. And Sam jumps in to give everyone the 15-minute countdown. And so Daniel's like, hold on, we're, we're on our way back to the village. And as Daniel and Lotan head towards the village, Lotan thinks Daniel is, like, disobeying Jack, his commander, started sort of bringing up the whole hierarchical command structure from earlier. And Daniel's like, no, no, I'm actually not. I'm just trying to figure out the best way to fulfill my function. And he's sort of trying to sort of start the process of like getting Lotan to think outside of the rigid programming that had been set upon him at his creation. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm, okay. Uh, so there's more than one way to fulfill your purpose. Exactly. So Lotan uh, beams himself and Daniel into the village and we get the 10 minute call from Sam. So the countdown clock still going. And Daniel takes Lotan to the main tent to meet the Incarns there. And there's like arguing and rehashing of the whole situation about how the Incarns are being destroyed, but they need to be here. And so do the Gadmir and blah, blah, blah. And Lotan realizes what's going on and that Daniel brought him here to get him to sympathize with the Incarns. Uh, or like he says, like with these people. And Daniel's like, well, they're your people. You were created to be like them. Don't you wish you could save them? like hmm very tricksy mm. daniel very very tricksy oh and, daniel you sneaky sneaky man yeah and lotan kind of like takes a step back and suddenly says that the ship is calling to him and he needs to go back and daniel's like take me with you and jack's like no but lotan does and jack does not like that and just, there, there's a lot of things jack does not like <laughs> that happened in this episode mm-hmm. um we get the five-minute call from Sam, and Jack tells her about Daniel being up on the ship, and she's like, well, what do we do then? Like, what what are we supposed to do now? 
So up on the ship, it called Lotan back because it apparently has detected the bomb. And Lotan's like, is that what I think it is? And Daniel's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like it, but we also don't want to see, like, the Incarns get destroyed. So it was kind of our last, you know, our, our final hope, if you will. And quick cut back to the planet, and the ship is now in position. So if Jack's going to blow the bomb, he has to do it now. And he obviously hesitates because Daniel's on the ship. But finally, he's just like, well, damn it, and pushes the button. So the ship has detected the bomb's activation, and Daniel is starting to get very desperate because... This is, like, not what anybody actually wants to happen. And so he asks Lotan if he can stop the ship. And he's like, that's not my purse. He's like, okay, that's, that, that's not what I'm asking. Just, like, can the ship be stopped? Just, like, can it actually be stopped? Or is there just, like, no off switch? And Lotan says, yes, it can actually be stopped. Okay. So this Gadmir civilization, you said they were so advanced. They had, like, laws and justice and stuff. Yes, they did. They had a respect for life. Yes, they did. Okay, so, Lotan, would you, like, be fulfilling your true purpose if you allowed the Gadmir new homeworld to be created by an act of mass murder? Which is a very good point. Mm-hmm. Then we get 60 seconds to the bomb detonation. And we're back on the planet, and suddenly the ship stops. And everybody else kind of just stops and stares at it, at it because it's like, did, did you do it? Did, Dan- did Daniel do it? And Jack gets on the radio and tells Daniel, if Daniel can hear him, that he has 30 seconds. And so Daniel asks Lotan if he can do anything about the bomb. And he's like, Lotan's like, yes, I can. To which he promptly beams it on board the ship. <laughs> like, not, not that, Lotan, not. No, 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 Not that. And Lotan's like, hmm, this is a very interesting design. And Daniel's like, we did get it off of the ship. Like, how, we have no time for this. And he's like, how much time do we have? To which we cut to Sam. With the five, four, three, two, one, and just before the bomb explodes, we see it shoot out of the ship and explode harmlessly in the sky. Yay. Which, did you have the thought when you were watching the explosion effects of, like, that would not have reached from the ground to the ship? That would not have done anything. Yeah, I don't know if it's just it went further away, maybe, than we thought it did, but... Also, where was, like, the shockwave? Because that was basically a nuclear bomb. Yeah. So there should have been a shockwave of some sort coming off of that thing. It should have been way bigger explosion. Yes. Yes. So back on the ship, things aren't exactly hunky-dory yet. While while the the terraforming process may be paused, it does have to resume at some point. And Lotan kind of mentions offhand that, you know, they had scanned millions of planets to find one with the exact right conditions for terraforming. And only this one met all of the necessary parameters, of which they're apparently 2,634 to be exact. And so uh, this gives Daniel an idea. Were there any other planets that almost met all of the criteria? Close enough that maybe the parameters would be suitable for the Encarns? Because maybe the Incarns don't need this exact planet, just something very, very close to this planet. Mm-hmm. Just scanning of all the planets they scanned in, yes. Aha, there is one. And Lotan is a little upset with himself that he didn't think about this solution himself. But, you know, as Daniel said earlier, he's like a day and a half old. Give him, you know, give him a little slack. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, I, Daniel's like, I'm sure you would have gotten there eventually. 
And Lotan says that the reason the planet was rejected for use by the Gadmir was because it didn't meet three of the requirements. The core temperature was too warm, the size was too large, and there were intelligent life forms already present. What? Intelligent life, you say? Yes. <laughs> and it seems like they might be in Karin. What? So back in the village, everyone is kind of standing around, like, wondering, like, what exactly happened and what to do when Daniel and Lotan beam back into the tent. And so Lotan would like to offer a compromise. The ship has used up too many resources to be able to continue the process somewhere else, and the Incarens need to leave. And they're like, well, that's not really a compromise, is it? And Daniel's like, well, actually, it is because uh, we found the original Incaren homeworld. What? Surprise. Uh, and Jack's like, really? You, you just now found it? And this is, okay, this is where we get Daniel's, well, he's a day and a half old, give him, you know, some slack. And so here's where sort of Martin Wood acknowledges that one of the limitations of TV is that the wrap-up does require sort of certain leaps in logic that have to happen in, like, two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> where, you get, where And, like, it's, you know, he not, it's annoying and can be kind of dumb, but it's just, it's what has to happen because it's TV and you only have so much time to do things. So They make it very, very obvious on this show, though. Like, so very painfully obvious. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yes, oh my god, the Incarans would love to return to their original homeworld. But as Tilk reminds everybody, there's no gate on the Incaran homeworld. And that's okay, because Daniel has a friend with a nice big spaceship that can take everybody there. Yay! Uh, here's like the last sort of fun fact from the commentary. Um so you may have noticed, like, Tilk didn't have a lot to, like, really do or say this week. And one of those lines was the one about the Incarn homeworld has no Stargate. And apparently for the next few years, like, few seasons, uh, Chris kept this up as, like, a running gag where if there was ever an episode where Tilk didn't have a lot to say, he would sort of, like, the scene would sort of end. There'd be, a be like, a sort of a beat and he would go, the Incarn homeworld has no Stargate. <laughs> No, like, yeah, that sounds like Christopher Judge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. <laughs> so Lotan's going to take them home. And once everyone's settle- settled, he'll be disassembled and the ship will return here to restart the terraforming process. Uh, but Hedrazar insists that Lotan should stay with them. And he's like, that's not counter to my programming. And they're all like, is that, is that yet? Yeah, yes. And Daniel's like, he means thanks. He would love to. <laughs> yeah. So uh, our sort of final shot here is just like sort of the last of the Incarns getting beamed up to the ship. SG-1 waves everyone off and the ship flies off. And that is the end. Yay. Now, the original ending for this episode, though, was not quite so great. Um, in an interview. Less good than this? Yes. Okay. Uh, in an interview with Joe Malazzi, apparently the original uh, the original ending was Lotan blowing up the ship to allow the Incarns to stay. Oh. And then there was going to be a bit like between Jack and Daniel where Jack said something like, when all is said and done, I'm glad I didn't blow up the ship. And Daniel would reply, I'm glad you didn't either. And I think I'm glad they scrapped that ending. I don't know. <gasps> yeah. Oh, yeah. That would have been that would have been way worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I also wanted there to be a, like a short ending cutaway scene with Daniel and Jack where Daniel was just like, son of a bitch, you turned the bomb on when I was on the ship. <laughs> they did actually film um, like SG, like a, a bit of more of an actual like wrap up with SG one walking away, but it just visually, apparently, I don't know if just something was wrong with the lighting and they couldn't fix it, but Martin was just like, it just didn't look good. It just looked like crap. So we just scrapped it. Cause again, the episode was apparently running long anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm guessing you have memos for this week. I mean, it's really just like ask all the questions and the simplest answer. Is it Nietzsche that says that right? The simplest answer is usually the correct one. Uh, isn't that Occam's razor? I uh, think. Maybe. So I like ask all yes. the questions up front. Yes. Read all the paperwork. No. Yeah. But just <laughs> I my biggest problem with this was that like the last five minutes of the episode should have been the first encounter with Lotan. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. Because I, I, I mean, I do remember like watching this and being like, yeah, why aren't they just asking him to pause it for a second? Like right at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that Jack was just like, he's a robot. He's not going to like us. Like, like <laughs> yeah. So you're not even going to explore that option. You're not even going to try. Just- you're just going to blow up an entire civilization. Yeah. You're spiteful. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Not no. cool, man. No, not cool. Yeah. I don't know. I think one of the things I liked about this episode is that while very drastically different from many Stargate episodes, it still felt like a Stargate episode. Like, again, there was no big bad. There was no, like let's do the thing it was just a lot of like questions and problems to be solved and i I mean this one is in the running for best worst teachable moment i think very true yeah yeah Mm -hmm. where where it's definitely more of an episode about social commentary and conversational subjects than like action yes but i know sometimes it's nice to have these slower yeah. episodes, you know, sprinkled in there every now and then, because if it's just like, oh, go, 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 go. So it's like, can they get a break, please? You know, kind of thing. So. When do they get vacations to go fishing? Never, because then Thor shows up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so the title this week, Scorched Earth. I mean, that's what's happening to, you know, 381, the planet. Mm-hmm. Really there. And nothing really fun from, like, foreign territory titles, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm so both that. But just earth on fire. Fire. Yeah. Earth. Yeah. Like burned or yeah. Very, just it's variations. Funny, it doesn't Forster. actually take place on Earth. I know. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it shouldn't be a Terra former because it's not transforming Terra, which is Earth. But you know. Yeah. Whatever. Not to get technical, but all of the terminology in this episode is wrong. Yeah, it's very Earth-centric when we're not on Earth. Yeah. But that's TV for you. Oh, that is TV for you. Oh, silly. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, Before we wrap up, we have some emails this week. Emails! Yay! Yes. Um, So our first email comes from Angela, and it's titled Jack and Sam Moments. 
Okay. So I think this might have to do with our divide and conquer episode where we complained about all of the Jack and Sam stuff and where did it come from? Um, and where is it going? Okay, cool. Okay. Bring it. Um, okay. So uh, she says, I've been listening to your podcast for about nine months now and just got caught up. I have watched SG1 sporadically since 2000, only when it was on TV and syndication. I never saw enough of it, enough, enough of it at once to see any of the Jack and Sam storyline at that time. In 2020, I committed to watching the whole series straight through, and I saw nothing but the Jack and Sam storyline from the beginning. In your Divide and Conquer podcast, you asked for people to write in with their observations about Jack and Sam. So here we go. We're getting some Divide and Conquer feedback finally. Cool. Bring it on. All right. I think I first saw their ship as a possibility when they were stuck in Antarctica. To me, it became obvious that Jack had those feelings when the alternate reality Sam showed up saying that she and Jack were married. When the group were in the infirmary discussing the reality scenario, Jack blurts out, it's against regulations, out of context, referring to the marriage relationship and not the alternate reality issue being spoken of. This, I believe, is because he was having to tell this to himself over and over again to fight back his own budding feelings. After leaving the VIP room with Alt-Sam hugging and crying him, Jack then pursued offering to help the real Sam talk through how weird it was to have alternate Sam around as a way to build on those feelings with his quote-unquote Sam. She she casually turned him down. Later, though, Sam had a longing look at Jack when Alt-Sam and our Jack kissed. Skipping forward when Jack asked Sam to go fishing and she first turned him down, she thought better of it and followed him into the hall, I believe to change her mind, only to be interrupted by Jack getting beamed up by the Asgard. There are other such moments that I clearly saw as well. I appreciate the fact that it wasn't so obvious because they were in the military. It had to be so minimally exposed. To me, it was perfectly presented presented as subtly as possible. Conversely, I personally never saw anything but a military brotherhood style of friendship between Jack and Daniel and find it weird when you and others point out the subtle ways that you see their ship forming. I would say their ship is much more subtle than Jack and Sam. It is possible I was so busy shipping Jack and Sam that I couldn't see any other ship. I know I'm watching it from the late 90s, early 2000s mindset of how relationships were presented on TV, almost always hetero. Everyone has a right to their opinion on this. I just laugh to myself when you see the Jack and Daniel ship, but don't see or cringe at any subtle signs of the Jack and Sam ship. Rather than send another email, I'm adding this at the end as I just now listened to the first one's podcast. Oh, ah, I believe the Niner at the end of Jack's designation Uh, I believe the Niner at the end is Jack's designation as the commander of SG-1. So his radio hail meant the leader of SG-1 calling the leader of SG-11. I haven't confirmed this, but I feel like I heard it somewhere else when discussing this very episode. I love your podcast and look forward to each weekly installment. Angie from Kansas. Well, thank you, Angie. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. The whole Jack and Sam versus Jack and Daniel stuff. That's like the big argument (laughs) in this fandom. And like, I'm one of those ship and let ship. Whatever you ship cool fine i don't i don't know i don't really care honestly it's just one of those fun things to kind of talk about sometimes when you're talking about shows Um, oh yeah totally i think i think just mostly what we notice is that like there's for example there's another tv show that i'm watching right now on netflix that um there, there is a hidden storyline where one character is totally and completely in love with the other character, but they have their own stuff going on. So the person is keeping it hidden. So it's not an active part of the storyline whatsoever. But in their interactions the whole time, you can totally tell that this person is in love with the other person and they are saying nothing. It's about like the little 
glances, how they interact, how how close they're getting to the person and whatever. And it's not at all part of the script at all. It's not at all what's going on in the scene, but it's totally its own present character in what's going on between those people. And mm-hmm. I think what you and I notice is that they really only make the Sam and Jack stuff happen when it's part of the active script. Other, mm. Otherwise, it's like like it doesn't even exist. That's an interesting way to put it because like the, the examples Angie wrote in with like, yeah, okay, I see that. But that's it. There's Yeah, there's none of those subtle lingering things. There's not really a lot of Jack staring longingly at Sam every now and then or making sure they like stand next to each other or those little things you do when you like somebody. Right. And, and, and then when we notice Jack and Daniel um, on more of a shipping thing is because it's obviously not part of their storyline whatsoever, 100%. <laughs> but the chemistry between the character is such yeah. where they almost have more of a rhythm of people that are close than yeah. the other two. So it's yeah. it's kind of, you know, easier for us to joke about because that exists for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if it's if it's because Stargate specifically does have the blessing, if you will, of the Air Force where they have to tread a lot more carefully with the Jack and Sam stuff because there are other sort of military shows and things where people are in relationships where in the real world, those relationships would be forbidden. So I don't know if it's just because there is that actual, the Air Force has said this show is okay kind of a thing where they do have to be maybe almost too light-handed with the Mm -hmm. Jack and Sam stuff because that would never happen in the Air Force. Like, as soon as there's any hint of any kind of feelings between people, they are split up. They are, you know, not in any hierarchical command structure, like, at all. So, I don't know. But, yeah. I mean, if you see Jack and Sam, cool. If you don't, cool. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, Love love that. What's the name of the person that wrote in to? Angie. Angie, we love that you actually wrote in and told us your thoughts. Thank you. Yes, thank (laughs) you. We always appreciate every email we get. Always. Yes. Yes. Uh, So our next email is from uh, returning commenter Mike. So this is also about the Niner question that Angie mentioned briefly at the end. So because, yeah, because if you haven't listened to the first ones, at one point, Jack calls over the radio SG-119er. This is SG-19er. And the only research I can find about why you say Niner in um, like uh, over the radio is when you're trying to say the number nine, which they're not SG-119 or anything like that so so why is jack saying niner was my question that i could not find anywhere on the internet so yes the rest uh, of us want to know when it's safe to say niner okay so let's <laughs> see if mike agrees with what angie wrote in so mike goes from my experience of two combat tours with the army one with an armored inf- infantry company and a second with a tank company niner or nine is part of a radio call sign Any unit that carries a radio is given a call sign to be identified. The higher your rank, the shorter your radio call sign. The lower your rank, the longer your call sign. And he goes into a radio call sign breakdown. So first letter is your company. The first number is your platoon. 
The second number is your squad or vehicle or higher rank, and the second letter is your vehicle or squad job. So the niner in the episode refers to the second number in the call sign or O'Neill's position. So the number breakdown for the second number in that call sign, nine would be the company's highest ranking officer. Eight would be the company's highest ranking enlisted. Seven, platoon's highest ranking enlisted. Six, the platoon's highest ranking officer. Five is, uh, he has no experience with that being used. One through four are for which squad or vehicle, usually an NCO. So that does seem to agree with what Angie said, where the Niner designates that it is the leader of that company making the call. Oh. So, um, for I like it. So uh, he gives some examples. Uh, D42G would be Delta Company, 4th Platoon, 2nd Vehicle Gunner. Uh, A26 would be Alpha Company, 2nd Platoon, Platoon Leader, who's the officer. Uh, C11 or C11, Charlie Company, 1st Platoon, 1st Squad or Vehicle, the NCO. B9er would be Bravo Company, the leader, the company's highest ranking officer. Each military unit may use these call signs in different formats, depending on the structure of the unit, the unit and determined in the unit's SOP or standard operating procedures. So for the Stargate command structure call signs, SG-19, SG-1's leader, O'Neill, SGC-9 would be General Hammond's call sign, the SGC-9er, uh, SG-3-9 or 9-er, SG-3 leaders, Colonel Makepeace. Uh, if they break it down more, which I don't think they ever do, but like Sam would be SG-1A, Tilk would be SG-1B, and then Daniel would be SG-1C. So long story short, 9-er or 9 means leader in the radio call sign. That's cool. Thanks, guys. That's very interesting. I like that a lot. Yay. People actually wrote in with stuff they knew. We got answers to questions we had. Yay. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That was very cool information because, yeah, I didn't find, like, any of that when I was trying every combination of, like, military, niner, call sign. Just I got I got nothing other than it just means <laughs> nine. It's like, okay, well, why is he saying nine? I don't know. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much, Mike and Angela. Those are great emails. Thanks. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Write more. Yes. We love emails. Please send them in. Okay. Um, final thoughts on this episode before we wrap up or did we do it all? I think we did the thing. Okay. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch, or if you would like to also send us an email, you may do so at woo. That's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Beneath the Surface. Okay. Bye. Bye.